Crab's Journal, 3. To most people, running away without leaving a trace would be impossible. They leave breadcrumbs behind them. Clues fall from them like scent. I was lucky. My father had taken me camping with him a few years earlier. It was the only trip we'd ever done together. I guess it was supposed to make up for all the years when he didn't know I existed. Anyway, I had overheard him telling a friend of his about the scenery, but he'd forgotten the name of the lake and everything else about the trip. I was certain they'd never imagined their weak and unathletic son would ever run off to the woods. I knew how to get to the lake and where we had put in that summer. There was a fishing lodge called Ithaca Camp on the shore of the lake, a bunch of cabins owned by a fat, friendly Greek with eight kids and a collie. You could launch a boat or canoe there for two bucks, but at the edge of the camp, a flat, calm river meandered into the lake. I knew that a side road crossed that river about half a mile upstream from Ithaca Camp. If I could hide the car in the bush near that bridge, get downriver past the camp and across the lake before dawn, I would simply vanish. It would be like crossing the magic threshold in a myth. Once I'd worked this out over a period of a year or so, the rest was easy. So in the early spring of my final year, I began to get serious about the preparations. My father had stored all the camping stuff he'd bought for our glorious weekend in the wilds way back in the corner of the basement. I think he wanted to forget about his attempt to get two people who had trouble being in the same room together without some kind of spontaneous combustion breaking out to turn into pals over the course of one weekend. There were assorted packs, a little stove, a hatchet, knives, a pot set including dishes and cutlery, ropes, a whole store full of stuff. It was all piled behind and under old bundles of newspapers, magazines, and boxes of forgotten junk. My parents liked to pretend this messy, dark part of their house doesn't exist. When they were out one night, I went down and lugged what gear I wanted up to my room over the garage. Then I carefully replaced the junk and, just to be sure the place remained unvisited, I banged the light bulb to break the filament. Once I had the stuff in my room, I had to clean it and stow it out of sight of the maid. She isn't the hardest worker in the world, so if I suggest there are areas in my room that don't need attention, she willingly goes along with me. The little stove went up on top on the top shelf of my closet, rolled up in the sleeping bag. The pot set and hatchet went into the big steamer trunk that I kept all my unused sports equipment in. The trunk is hardly ever opened because I'm not very sporty. When my father used to have a flare-up of optimism, and think that maybe I could become a jock, he'd buy me some expensive implement that was designed to hit, bash, or catch a ball, as if the mere presence of the, ob presence of the object would add muscles to my frame and competitive spirit to what he often called my pansy mentality. I hung the packs in the closet behind my clothes. That done, I was ready for phase two. I had to get hold of clothing and food in such a way that I left no clues. The clothing, clothing was easy. I picked out some old t-shirts, sweaters, socks, underwear, and jeans, gave them to my mother, and told her they were no good. She always gives her old clothes to the Salvation Army, after she has, has them cleaned by the help. I waited until they were ready and told her I'd drop them off at the collection bin, which is in the shopping center parking lot on the way to school, but I kept them instead. So I managed to get two sets of clothes that no one would miss. They couldn't trace me if they didn't know what I was wearing. The food was easier, but took longer. I grabbed it from the kitchen when Cook, a grouchy old Polish lady who was as nearsighted as she is short-tempered, went home afterward, and my parents were out at one of their boring parties. 
I'd slip downstairs from my little eyrie and snaffle a few tins at a time. Just a few. The grumpy Polsky is pretty sharp about her provisions. I added to this stockpile by buying what looked like useful and tasty stuff from local milk stores. The food, as the spring wore on, gradually filled two of the big canvas canoe packs. That left a third for other gear and a small nylon haversack for clothing. By the end of May, I was ready. I figured I'd leave on a weeknight before my final exams, those big important keys that would, my parents deeply hoped, unlock dozens of university doors for me. In their fantasies, I was to win a pile of scholarships, much acclaim, and be the second summa cum laude of the, of the crab clan, you know who was the first. And eventually I was to be famous. I'd be a rich corporate lawyer, a brilliant physician, specialist of course, or a big gun exec in a company that had wealth and power. I'd be my parents' son. That was the plan. But I would not even write those phony and moronic exams. I would slip behind the curtain of the forest. I'd show them. Oh, I'd show all of them. <laughs>